what Brooklyn sounds like. Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And I'm Dr. Lisa, and I give a shit. And you know what? I'm going to ask you for help because you know what? The last last time, uh, last week, my best friend did uh, my tarot cards, and she said one of my things is that I don't ask for help enough. So uh, I'm going to tell you in a minute what that's about, why I need your help, especially today, more than any other day. And I'm going to tell you in a second. But before I do that, I want to do the station ID, okay? So I'm Dr. Lisa. Dr. Lisa gives a shit. I'm here every Thursday, 2 to 3 p.m. on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. You can also find me on, uh, you know, Instagram at Dr. Lisa Levy SP and Facebook and all all Dr. Lisa gives a shit at Radio Free Brooklyn on Facebook and all that stuff. You can listen to old episodes, all of them, all 203. Anyway, um, so I just want to say thanks a lot for listening. So here's what I have to ask you your ask you the favor. I'm also going to be asking Penny Arcade for a big favor in a second. But I'm going to ask you guys a favor first. So what happened to me today? I'm very confused. I screwed up so badly and I'm really trying to manage this right now. Okay, this is this is just what happened. I'm not going to I'm not going to candy coat it. I was really like nervous or I got distracted. I got distracted and the person who I thought was supposed to be my guest on the show today, a very 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 talented artist a drummer of the band Moon Palace, which is based in Seattle. So anyway, I thought I was going to have the drummer from that band on today as my guest because she's in town uh, doing her uh, video, doing a video for the band. But what happened was I got so confused by so many other things. Like I had to go pick the beer up and I had to try to, you don't even need to know, but um, I don't, I don't have a guest today. I don't have a guest today. Here's the good news, and we're going to find out if this is okay in a minute. So the good news is, it's actually great news. I mean, if it works out, I'm thrilled, but we'll find out in a minute. Okay, so stick with me here. Stick with me, folks. So here's what's going to happen. So I'm going to have Penny Arcade. We have this all worked out where she's going to call in because she's doing this great news show. I'm going to tell you about it in a minute. But so I'm hoping that Penny will do at least most of the hour with me on the radio as my guest, which would be so amazing and such a gift to all of us. So we'll find out when she calls in in a second. I don't know. And if not, I'm going to be winging it. But I can do that because uh, I'm I'm used to be, I have no fear of being humiliated. That is, that is my strength. But let me, so let's focus on, 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 on Penny Arcade, who she is and the show that she is doing so she can call and you'll be prepared. You'll know who you're talking with. Uh, Penny Arcade, if you have not heard of her, if if you have not heard of her, you really should have. She is, I mean, look it up, folks. I mean, she is an icon. She is an important history. She's an important figure in the history of the East Village, the Lower East Side and she spans the music scene, the writing scene, the performance scene. One of the 
earliest influences for me when I moved to New York in 1978. And she, she's somebody that had, that I've had enormous, you know, just kind of been in awe of, uh, my entire, my entire, my entire, my entire, my entire adult life. And, um, I remember in my, like 20 years ago, going to see her and a guy had just dumped me. And there was something, I think she was doing bitch, dyke, fag, hag, whore then. I'm not sure, but I remember her performance. I went to see it at PS 122, just really spoke to me about being a woman and like what I was worth. And it really kind of, I'll never forget that gift. That that stands out in my mind particularly. But I've had the honor of meeting her before and interviewing her at other times. So she's going to be on the sh- she's going to be on in a minute. She's doing this show at Joe's Pub. It's called Longing Lasts Longer. And if you don't know, if you haven't been to Joe's Pub, you absolutely must go. These tickets are a bargain. It's only $20 in advance, which is crazy cheap for Joe's Pub. So she's doing this show. It's she's had two world world tours with it, forty four cities, two hundred performances, and now after four years of touring this award winning show, it's coming to New York City, Joe's Pub. So now's your chance to see it. It's Tuesdays in August, August sixth, August thirteenth, August twentieth, twenty seventh. Uh, starts at seven p.m. You can go to joespub.org. I'm going to read one line that will sort of, I think, give you somewhat of the, what it, the essence of it. Longing lasts longer is an evening of dangerous ideas and radical inquiry into what it means to be human right now and right here. So on that, Penny, are you there? Are you listening? Can you call in, please? Let's see if she calls in. Otherwise, I'm just really, I'm just really screwed. Oh, there she is. There she is. Penny. Penny? What a great radio station. Can you hear me, Penny? Yeah. I'm I'm happy to spend the hour with you. Wait a second. What? I'm here. Hi. It's good to hear your voice. Did you hear what happened? How I fucked up my whole show today? Oh. Penny? Yeah. Hi. Hi. So I've got you on speakerphone. Does that work? Is that better? I think so. I think so. I can hear you okay. And and you're. Well, I'm ready to spend the hour with you. Are you going to? Yeah, because I'm out here at Robert Wilson's watermill. I'm his. um, He uh, curated me into his viewpoint series. So I'm. talking here tonight and I'm just hanging around chilling out this afternoon. Oh, that is fabulous. And you must be in such a good mood because you're at that watermill place. Well, I'm, you know, in air conditioning, it's quiet. It's beautiful. I, you know, I'm always, you know, I'm an introvert. So yes, I'm a performer who's an introvert. So right. I, I like to be alone a lot before I'm with people. So it works, and radio is so perfect for that because you're always alone with people. Right. I like I that, too. I know. Isn't it great? We are kind of both get to be alone and together at the same time. Yeah. 
yeah. So caught. I, I did a pirate radio show in the mid '90s in the East Village called "Steal This Radio." Mm-hmm. For years, and I loved it. I love radio. Radio is really my favorite art form. Oh yeah, I could see that. But you're so yeah, great yeah. on stage, though. I am, but I'm great. My voice is great, and. Plus the fact that people get to listen while doing other things. Yeah, right. You can multitask. Well, Did... It really pleases me that the audience isn't like stuck in a seat. They can move around. They can go in the refrigerator, get food. But don't you they love can... it when you connect? Like you seem to connect so directly with the people in the audience. You, you, do, well, don't you Bob enjoy that? Great, I do. The great Bob Fast from WBAI, who basically created Freeform Radio. I was on his radio show a few years ago, and he's, I started speaking like I am now directly to the public, and he said, oh, my God, Penny Arcade, you're a relator. <laughs> and I am. I you really it. are. I love it. Yeah, I love, I love mm-hmm. the audiences. My well, relationship my entire career has been with the public. Not I know. with the press and not with arts administrators. Right. Who I don't, don't like all that much. I like the general public. Right, yeah, because so you could. Thanks for that plug on my work. Oh yeah. Nice. Well, why don't you? Um. So everybody who, in case you know, so in case people yeah. don't know, let's get the let's get all get on the same page. So why don't you explain like who you are, um, a little bit, and okay. tell us a little bit about the show. I'm starting to write my memoir. Oh really? That's going to be fascinating. Yeah, yeah, because I just got kind of fed up of reading a lot of other stuff where people yeah real i mean you know it's just it's just an interesting time i just turned 69 wow i've been performing for 52 years um so i'm i'm somebody who grew up to be who i wanted to be so mm-hmm. that's like a really nice nice thing to um have that kind of authenticity in your life yeah, especially when, especially when you're old. Yeah, because, and as you get older, because authenticity gives you a place to stand. And yeah, the longing last for the show that I've been touring, as you said, for the past four years, was developed live at Joe's Pub. Like all my work is developed improvisationally in front of audiences, and we developed it over thirteen performances at Joe's Pub, and then we did three performances at Theater for the New City. And then we went to Edinburgh where we won the two top prizes out of 3,500 shows. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, my, my career is always mixed. So we win, we win the two top prizes out of the 3,500 shows, but never with more than 25 people in the audience. Isn't that fun? We didn't have the money. We didn't have the money to promote. You know, you know, in Edinburgh now, if your if your face isn't on the side of a bus, you know, um, <laughs> you know, it's very hard to for people to know you're there. Just like in New York right now, which is one of the reasons I'm happy to be on the air, talking to all and sundry who might be drifting by these airwaves. That it's you know hard for people to know what's going on. You know the the internet really failed, you know, what we thought the internet was bringing us all together 
is pretty much BS. You know? I kind of I kind of agree with you. Do you mean like one of the things that I I want to know what you mean by that? But like for example, yeah. one of the things that I think about is that people don't even go out as much because they're inundated and they they're they're satiated superficially. Well, let me tell you, in 1996, in 1996, in the very very early days of the internet. Um, there were some World Wide Web activists who created a kind of art festival in the East Village in a few different performance places. And that was 1996, and there were like seven people in the audience in all these places, and then 50,000 people online. But that was before algorithms. That was before, you know, there was all this interference because the truth of the matter is that everything is fragmented. So Longing Last Longer, the show that we're doing at Joe's Pub, is about that fragmentation. It's about the difference fundamentally between nostalgia and longing. Mm -hmm. So it's I'm a context provider. I make maps. Mm-hmm. So I make a map of what I think has happened over the past 50, 60 years. Mm-hmm. And then the audience gets to stand in my map. So I'm not telling you, the audience, what to think. I'm just saying, here's my map. How does this compare to your map? Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. people, especially younger people, super love it because they don't have context. Right. You know, I've, I've been saying for years, like, so you're the most informed generation on the planet. Good for you, but what do you do for with all that information if you lack context? So context is being removed out of our lives more and more. And to be perfectly honest, and you would know this, Lisa, having come to New York in the late 70s, you know, you used to be able to walk down Avenue A any time between 1957 and 2000, and you would find out what was going on, you know? Mm-hmm. You didn't have to have a cell phone. You didn't mm-hmm. have to be online. Now people die, and you find out, like, a year... I just found out that a person who lived around the corner from me Teddy, I don't even know her last name. She was a textile designer. Really, you know, a typical, what I call a typical East Village person, an artist, kind of cantankerous, very independent, very, um, very her own person, that she died two years ago. Wow. Now, in the 80s, 90s, that would have never happened. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just really feel and do talk about the fact that the promise of the internet was was thwarted because it's not free, you know. You know, anybody anybody listening who does research, like some of us are just research, research fanatics, mm-hmm. like I am, yeah. I think, like you are, Lisa. Mm-hmm. You know, in the 90s, if I did research and being like a clever girl with a lot of, knowing a lot of words and a lot of different ways to chase something, I would come up with 200 leads for something I'm looking for. Now you get the same 10 things over and over. And then a million of them are just empty, like empty things. You click on them and they take you to another thing you can click on, that you can click on, that you can click on. 
you know? Right, right. Well, and I... We were, we were at McDowell's, Steve and I, my longtime collaborator, working on Longing Last Longer in 2014. And there was a interesting woman whose name, of course, I'm forgetting now. Her name was Natalie, who was a professor at a university in Massachusetts, young, like in her 30s, working on robots. Mm-hmm. And she's a worldwide web uh, activist. And she did a presentation on the World Wide Web that was so scary when you find out mm. that it's owned by four companies like Amazon, Google, you know, and two other companies own it. And when you find out how few people are between us and the total takeover of of our information and our and our identities and everything online and so you know, the beautiful things of the Internet, some are still available, right? I mean, I can um, uh, write to you on Facebook and mm-hmm. write to mm-hmm. people who are my mm-hmm. friends and say, hey, I'm doing this show and mm-hmm. we don't have any advertising budget and we really want people to be able to see this show and tickets are just $20 and, you know, right. we really want to, because, because, an important role in my work is community building. And That's we right. need to be together. And my audiences are incredible because they're made up of such diverse people. And I usually say, you know, just talk to anybody in the audience because if you're here, you're going to like everybody in this room. <laughs> because we, right. we are the minority now. People who are independent, eclectic, thinking people who are humanistic, mm-hmm. empathetic. I mean, empathy is being bred out of human beings. Oh, my God. And there are, you know, the things that are in Longing Less Longer, the subjects that are in it, you know, particularly this, it's like a kind of ammunition for people because, you know, as soon as you talk about what, you know, what what's being lost in our culture, you know, the erasure of history, the destruction of authenticity, the cultural amnesia. As soon as you talk about these things, nine out of ten people are going to accuse you of being nostalgic. Mm-hmm. So you're not nostalgic at all. What you're experiencing is longing. Uh huh. I mean, they're going to close Gem Spa in the East Village. Yeah. Oh, I wow. Mean, that is like a super nail in the coffin of downtown. You know, and yet if I say that, you know, and I say they want to put a Starbucks there, there's a whole lot of people who think, what's the problem with that, Penny? Sure. I just want to be clear. I want to understand. I just want to make sure we all understand the difference between longing and nostalgia. Can you? Okay. Well, nostalgia is a wistful, sentimental yearning, not only for the past, but also for who we were in the past. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the ways nostalgia functions is it protects us from feeling the reality of who we actually grow up to be, the reality of what we settle for. Mm -hmm. Longing is a persistent sense of loss that attaches to ourselves, our history, our values, our desires, desires that are not material. Mm -hmm. Nostalgia is connected to the past. But longing 
We all long uh, into the future. So it so it's so in the moment. Longing is, longing is a pre- like you can be someone can be nineteen years old mm-hmm. and long for the gilded age of the eighteen nineties. Right. So longing goes forward and backward. Mm-hmm. But I think that right now. For a lot of people, I'd say for people who are definitely, for people who are in their mid-40s to like 100, Mm -hmm. the kind of values that were the alternative cultural values Mm -hmm. that people, you know, went for Mm -hmm. are no longer valued in our culture. I know it. You know, if you were somebody who wanted to become a person of connoisseurship, if you wanted to understand psychology and sociology and painting and poetry and music and film, and if you had spent your whole life trying to develop yourself as an independent, thinking, eclectic person, mm-hmm. we are now living with the values of consensus, with the values right. of sitting in. You know, that's what this PC huge movement, you know, of trigger warnings and safe spaces. That's what that's all about. Well, you know what I really miss, too, which I think is part of, you know, what's wrong with, well, something that I really miss from the culture or that I have longing for, Mm -hmm. that like in the old days, in if you went on, you know, you could go to, if you went to another country or in New York or Mm -hmm. anywhere, you could find a really special place, mostly by like word of mouth or by going to one place and then meeting people and then going to another place and meeting mm-hmm. more people. But there's there doesn't seem to be anything like that anymore. So th- when you well, you know, gentrification erases the visibility of the alternative. Mm. You know because. You know, zillions of people and zillions of people are still coming to downtown New York or, you know, they're coming to Brooklyn because they built it so they would come. Right. And, um, you know, they're. Well, our radio station's in Bushwick, so, and I live in Bushwick, so that's ground. Yeah. You know, Bushwick. um, Is so gentrified. Bushwick is a special issue, you know, because. Right now, it's very bushwicky. You know? I know, but zillions of people are, you know, wanting to sell condos there. Oh, and- oh no, it's happened. I mean, there, there's in yeah. like in the year from now because there's all these big buildings and they're all going to be yeah. packed with. It's going to be completely different. So yeah, I mean, I it's horrible. Yeah, yeah. it's I happening mean, it's, all it's the time. you know. I mean, they figured out. You know, you talk to the average. 22-year-old person who's coming from another country, you know, they want to go to Bushwick. <laughs> they will be they will be either someone with no resources or somebody who's coming from a multimillionaire family. You know what I mean? Because it's the trend. But right. the issue is, you know, what about the people, you know, Bushwick was a place where poor people could live, you know? Right. What about them? But I mean, I think it's happening unilaterally, not only everywhere in New York, like my neighborhood, the Lower East Side, where there's like 85 million towers being built, 
where a former $900 a month um, uh, railroad flat of 400 square feet is now renting for $5,000 a month. <laughs> you know, sure. I mean, and it's everywhere. It's everywhere in the world. And everyone says the same thing, whether I'm in Manchester, England, or, um, you know, anywhere where I travel. I you know, travel a lot. Mm-hmm. Anywhere in London and in France and in Denmark, everybody's always saying the same thing. You know, who's moving into these $9,000 a month rental apartments, you know? Yeah, a I lot. Mean, of- my neighborhood, you had to... You have to have to walk around with a hard hat in my <laughs> for the well, past but, eight years because they're just building, building after building but, after building. But see, I think like, and I'm I'm in your age group. I'm just a couple years younger. But I think like in our day, um, it used to be that our heroes, like like people, like were rock, say like rock stars. Like I think about like even Joni Mitchell or something. I thought she was. Right. Or even Patty Patty Smith's a little bit later than Joni right. Mitchell. She's a huge hero. You probably know her, I bet, right? Do you? Yeah. Yeah, of course you would. Of course you would. But anyway, um, those those women, those two women, for example, whether they had money or not, they did not aspire. They did not um, make. They did not. They did not aspire to like wealth, and the values were were good. And like nowadays people aspire to be like Kim Kardashian. And I think that, yeah, but I think where where that's coming from Lisa is, you know, the only trickle down that exists in our culture is Halliburton, Enron, all of, all of what we have watched, you know, the, the corporate corruption and the corruption at the highest levels, of government has trickled down. So these values that you're talking about, which were really about evolution and self-evolution and about honor and truth and beauty and, and aspiring to greatness, these are no longer values in the culture. Right. It's not. I mean, the value in the culture is it doesn't matter how, how you got the money. The cool thing is you got the money and you got, you know, like Fran Leibowitz said, you don't earn a million dollars, you mm. steal a million dollars. Right, right. You know? So it's, you know, we're living in this time, This, which is why one of the things Longing Last Longer, the show is about is the gentrification of ideas, that ideas can be gentrified. You know, it's just, sure. like, you know, in 1978, only bikers and strippers had tattoos, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to get a tattoo in 1976 when I was 26 years old, but I couldn't think of a logo. I, <laughs> I mean, these were my words as a 26-year-old. I said, well, I want a tattoo, but I don't know that there's a logo that I would want to have for my whole life. Now everybody has the same tattoo, so they can all look different like everybody else. <laughs> exactly, you know, exactly, exactly. But here's so, something I don't understand. Yeah. Uh, maybe you mm-hmm. can help me, under, which I, I've talked about this before. I cannot get my brain around it. So if you take like 
Angelina Jolie, for example. Now, she's somebody who supposedly stands for, like, human rights, and she goes all over the world and all that. But yet, in her own life, she's always sort of getting people to aspire to being rich like she is. Or why she has too many houses. Why isn't she selling one of those houses and starting, you know, a hospital or an orphanage in Africa or something like that? Well, I mean, I think think that, you know— it's hard for people like us who don't even even own one house, right. you know, to understand somebody who has come up with that kind of fame and that kind of wealth and that kind of access. But I think that she is someone who uses her fame to bring attention and to raise money. And then, of course, she's going to be, you know, I don't know her personally, but she's going to be more or less a nut job because who wouldn't become a nut job from getting that kind of attention for the better part of 30 years of her life? Of course. You know? Of course. I mean, the thing is that celebrity, you know, the, see, the thing that used to be great, for those of you who are listening who didn't experience the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, really, mm-hmm. yeah, that kind of ended in the 80s. Mm. You know, people used to come to New York and be part of the alternative downtown art scene because they didn't want to be part right. of the dominant culture. It was all about like in my show, I'm going to do it once. I'm going to, we're doing it one time, um, September 30th for this new festival, which we at Joe's pub also. Oh, I did a show from 2002 called New York values, which is all about mm-hmm. that. And I said, um, New York used to be filled with writers, painters, photographers, filmmakers, musicians, poets, junkies, whores, and weirdos. Now it's filled with NYU students pretending to be writers, painters, photographers, filmmakers, musicians, poets, junkies, whores, and weirdos. In other words, <laughs> the 10 most popular kids from every high school in the world are now living in New York City. Those are the people who most of us who moved to New York came here to get away from. So So, true. You know, the thing is, it's all very scrambled. You know, it's, look, we are living in the fendus echo. We're living at the end of the century. And even though it's 2019 and the century turned in 1999, we know from history, we know from the last fendus echo that the real changing of the century lasts pretty much into like the 30th year of the next century. So in a fin de siècle, everything is thrown up at the same time, good, Mm -hmm. bad, and indifferent. Mm -hmm. And now it's additionally scrambled by the presence of the Internet and the fact that people are very isolated. Everything that the Internet was supposed to do, it really created the opposite. Mm. People are not closer than they've ever been. People are more isolated than ever. Absolutely. Like are, you know, you could say, well, more people are having sex. Yes, by themselves in front <laughs> of their computer. You're so right. You know, you know, I'm, let me, um, I got to do a station yeah. ID. This is part. Oh, the, yeah. So wait. So well, hold on a second. We'll sure. be back in a second where I tell you about our podcast recordings. First of all, that you can get a really good deal at a podcast recording here. I mean, we're a nonprofit and we're trying to make a little bit of money to support our nonprofit by mm-hmm. uh, 
you know, we by offering podcast facilities with a tech person. So it starts as low as $40 and you can come here and rent the studio, get a tech person. You don't have to know anything. It's such a good deal. So um, you should go to our our website, www.radiofreebrooklyn.org and uh, look at look it up and make 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 a podcast because you I can do it. I promoted it today on Facebook. Oh, thank so you. After, when we get off the air, I will promote your podcasting Aww. possibilities. That yeah, would be well, great. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a broadcaster. No, I know. I know. Wait, and I just want to remind people that I'm talking with Penny Arcade on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Dr. Lisa gives a shit. I'm here every Thursday, 2 to 3. And we're talking about Penny's new show at Joe's Pub, which is every Tuesday in August at, um, you go to the publictheater.org and you'll find out all you need to 7 know. 7 p.m. It's an 80-minute show with 100 song loops. Wow. Some of the best rock and roll from the past 50 years. Wow. In an 80-minute show that's live mixed by my longtime collaborator, Steve Zetner. And you've so had 400, it's traveled the world, you've had 400, I mean, it must be incredible, like the, the way that you've like worked on it, right? It's like a now. It's, it's, it's like, like a Maserati. Yeah. Exactly. It's, you know, like for the audience who's listening, it's, it's rock and roll theater, it's um, cultural criticism you can dance to, it's comedy. Um, well, also, if you if you haven't had the Penny Arcade experience, people, you really are missing something. I mean, you haven't done a show like this in New York in a, in four years. It's a long time. So yeah, we haven't. I've been. I did some new works in progress. We have uh, three. I did a show. This you find this interesting. Um, you know, because I develop all my work live. I did four performances of a show called "The Girl Who Knew Too Much," which was my response. <laughs> To the Me Too movement based on five rapes that happened to me in a lifetime of sexual harassment. And some girl, some like 27-year-old girl in a $10,000 Fendi fur coat didn't like what I was saying and stood up and threw a 10-ounce glass of water in my face. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Do, I mean, I have to say, you touched her. That do, do you feel like? I mean, I'm. I I think that's amazing that you affected her that way. She she knew well, it was her. Know, I mean, people are always hating me. But <laughs> in her case, she didn't like it when I said, "I'm sorry," but somebody looking at your breath as they pass you on the subway is not rape. It's biology. Ah. I stood up and threw that in my face. And then, Ooh. you know, I, I followed her with the mic. Oh. Why'd you do that? Oh. She was like, she's like, my action spoke for itself. I said, actually, it didn't. I have <laughs> no idea why you did that. And neither does anyone in this room. And then people uh. tried to stop her. Uh. And <laughs> that is from beautiful. And I said, no, let her go. And then I talked about you know, how sad it was that she was inarticulate. You know, she had, yeah. she had a reaction, but she couldn't explain her reaction. Wow, that's really is, well put, really well taken. a lot of what's going on in the world right now, 
and it's also a lot of what is going on with all this virtue signaling and, you know, everybody being, uh, you know. Well, what's your take on the Me Too movement? I'm very curious. I mean, I have. My take on the Me Too movement was I was really excited when it started. Mm-hmm. And I was going, oh, yeah, okay, so people are going to finally start talking about, mm-hmm. you know, what I've been Hey, Penny, you sounded a little better. Please get a little closer oh. if you can. That was much okay. better. Um, you know, first I thought, well, that's, you know, great, because people are going to talk about what I've been talking about and what I want to talk about, you know, as a woman and, you know, as a girl and as somebody who's, like, blissfully happy to be in menopause. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I whereas hear you. a lot of women are upset at being invisible. I'm thrilled after mm. being a sexual target for decades. Mm-hmm. But then it then it was hijacked by a small number of people, women, who bullshit. You know, I'm sorry. You know, I I was violently raped by strangers with guns and knives and abducted mm. once. Mm. Um that's a, really different from somebody like, you know, pressing against you a little bit too close when so, you're standing three deep at a bar. So I'm you think that women I'm are making it fair. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not saying it's fair, but I'm saying you have to know the difference. Right. Because right. if you don't know the difference, the larger population out there where we're trying to change the culture, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't going to know, and the culture of rape and sexual harassment is changed by the way people educate children mm-hmm. and what children are mm-hmm. taught. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's complex. And I think that with the Me Too movement, when it was hijacked, we lost a very powerful opportunity to change the culture mm. and not to take anything away from any of the movie stars who said that they were, you know, impinged on or leaned on to have sex with people they didn't want to have sex with. We are not allowed to talk about the zillions of women who have sex in order to get ahead and don't have a problem with it. Right, I agree. I agree. You can't talk about that. Right. And, like, for me, as someone who had this terrible rape uh, background, with very powerful PTSD that I've uh, never been able to get rid of because I don't know w- what kind of long-term therapy. I've, I I would never have made been able to make any artwork if I tried to get rid of my PTSD. <laughs> well, it I'm not sure. taken a lot of attention. Right, but, right. Um, right, now I hear you. You know, I am unable to flirt. And in business, anybody who's in business, knows you have to be able to flirt. Yeah, me me, me neither. That you're having <laughs> sex with the people. But it really caused me a lot of problems in my career in the eighties when I was in my thirties that I wasn't able to, you know, flirt with the different male heterosexual arts administrators. Who are all in charge. All, right. They were all heterosexual. Yeah. Yeah. And that when whenever men would get so interested in me, it would trigger my PTSD and I'd get very abrasive. Mm. Um, 
So, uh, you know, there, uh, you know, it's, it's, the truth is individual human experience is very interesting. Mm. And I have always tried to be as honest and as articulate as I could about my life in my shows to try to do other people a favor. Mm-hmm. You know, wisdom, my definition of wisdom is salient, practical information that is of absolutely no use to you personally currently you know so if i had understood some of this in my 30s my career could have possibly gone a very different way you know no i do um, i do but so these issues with the me too movement i mean you know on on one hand i'm a super scaredy cat who every night has to pull one of the this wooden um, kitchen island. I put it in front of my door. Wow. Because, You're not yeah, kidding. Yeah. No, no, no. Every night. Yeah. Because wow. I also watch murder. So wow. see, I watch murder. I watch murder all night so that I can know where the serial killers are. <sighs> one of my TV one of my show. Favorite, yeah. One of my favorite <laughs> jokes in, in that I tell the audience is, you know, theater is not really my job. I'm actually, a forensic expert <laughs> and I should be at home in front of the TV helping them catch a serial murderer. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean I am this heavily PTSD person and there's a lot of people, not only women, men, who have PTSD the way I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, just being able to function at all for me is a really a huge accomplishment. Which people don't realize, of course, because they see you no, on stage. Because, I mean, I, I'm, 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 I'm talking more about the PTSD now than I had in the past, mm-hmm. you know, because it, mm-hmm. you know, it's embarrassing on some level, you know, well, because especially because well, it was embarrassing because there is so much focus on telling people to cure their PTSD, but. Well, there's so, vulnerability, certainly. Whoever talks about their PTSD is making themselves very vulnerable. I mean, but, you know, you do. that's what you do. <laughs> you make yourself well, really... I, I like to tell the truth about myself. Yeah. With the idea... But not in... But like in a... Else. In a... Like what I think of as pretty tough... Like not in a... You know, like people think being vulnerability... There's a, There can be like a real straightforwardness it's in vulnerability. Strength and vulnerability. Exactly. That's the word I was looking for. What I wanted to say is that by the same token that I am this person who has, you know, serious PTSD issues and serious fear issues, who's an introvert, which is um, a difficult situation for somebody who's a performer. And I'm a very good performer, but I'm also, I don't have that. I'm, how can I explain? I'm very friendly and outgoing. I'm mm-hmm. very sociable. But for every day that I spend with people, I have to spend at least 24 to 36 hours completely alone to kind of regroup. Sure. And I think a lot of people are like that. Yeah. But, I'm also this, but I am also all through these years of PTSD, I'm walking down the street and a bunch of workers on a building start yelling out, Hey, baby, come back here and suck my dick. I'm also the person who has walked back by myself and stood there and said, 
uh, excuse me, I'm just curious, but has this ever worked? <laughs> I mean, has anybody ever come back and sucked your dick? I mean, are you getting a lot of sex? <laughs> and totally so you know, awesome had a, huge, had a huge impact on those guys because you know those guys aren't going to yell that again you know no that's wonderful that's place, wonderful you know? yeah so it, it's not just one way you know no. um, you know i mean there's yeah you know th- there's a range and um and it's very important to realize that but so I was very disappointed in the Me Too movement mm. because it got it watered was, down. It, it was great. It was it got watered down, but also it was affected and influenced by the rest of this politically correct crap that's going on. Where and feminism, the failure of feminism, and you may remember my show, Bad Reputation. Yeah, that was the show that I was thinking of when I was going through that breakup that right. really moved me. I remember it so right. well. I have the book. So, so the thing with, with Bad Reputation, I said the failure of feminism is how women betray women. And that is yes. the one thing feminists will never talk about. Yes, so that's a really big is, deal. So this is what happened, I think, to the Me Too movement. and But it has always been true with feminism since I was a young girl. Because oh. I was originally, I, you know, when I was first in New York, I came when I was 17. I washed up on the shores of the East Village and I <laughs> uh, ended up with, um, with the Yippies, with Abby Hoffman and answering phones at the Yippie hotline on 6th Street between... Um, Folks, Penny has an incredible and- biography, not like anybody else. Like, I can't, <laughs> we can't even get started here, but well, you should, I'm, you know, look it, look it up. It's incredible. I've been around for a long time. I'm writing my memoir now. You haven't so. done anything like normal or conventional. Your your life is, you know, it, it is a lot like how I think of like, you know, Patty Smith in a way. Somebody comes to New York in the old days and just kind of like whatever happens, like they're, you're kind of like not a it, pretty fearless. I was really nerdy and scared. You were really, I, really I, fearless. I don't think I was fearless. I just think that I didn't know that I was supposed to protect myself, which is mm-hmm. different from being yes. fearless. I've, yes. I've always been a very fearful person. And as we're speaking right now, I'm fearful. <laughs> really? So, <laughs> but I think the, the definition of bravery is being fearful. And, you know, well, but when I first came to New York, well, you didn't have a script to follow. You had no script to follow. I certainly well, had a script. Was, there was no script then. Yeah, but I had a script any... that I was supposed to follow. You that I was well, afraid was of. There was a bit of a script if you came in '78 because that's when you know everybody knew about the East Village. Sure. The Talking Heads had moved to the East Village. And right. Ronald Reagan. So when Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan getting elected was just the beginning of the end of the planet, literally, if you ask me. Yeah, along with some other things. But I just wanted to tell you that um, um, Abby Hoffman um, decided to give the other storefront where, they, where the Yippie Hotline was to Robin Morgan, who's a famous feminist. Mm-hmm. And she invited me at that time, I was 17, and she invited me to come to the feminist meetings she was having because they were getting ready to do the big action at the Miss America pageant you know, which was the bra burning and all mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. stuff from the 60s. Right. And she explained her feminism to me. And she said, we do not want housewives. 
And I was like looking at her, and I'm coming from an immigrant peasant, working class Italian family, where my mother is the only winner. She's sewing 70 hours a week in a sweatshop. And I'm thinking, my mother would love to be a homemaker. You know, like, you know, where's the feminism for people like us? Right. Yeah, I do think, I mean, there's this new term, it's called double agents, like Kim Kardashian is a double agent. Um, uh, 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 Gwyneth Paltrow is a double agent. Women that say they're... I have a little bit of a problem with considering Gwyneth a double agent. Because she's not even feminist enough, right? But anything beside her own own bank account. I know. Same thing with Kim. I mean, the thing is, look, but we they have pre- to remember, there are, you know, people don't create trends. People identify trends, and then people follow trends. Yeah, or exploit so, trends. Or exploit trends. Yeah. And the thing is that right now, because the, the people who have the widest bandwidth, people who can afford, the people who have, you know, in, in longing last longer, I say it's all there in the first five minutes of the Hollywood movie um, Sunset Boulevard. Dun, dun, dun. Hollywood, California, where 10 press agents working overtime can do terrible things to the human spirit. <laughs> right. I know. Yeah. You know, yeah. 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 Got it. See, the thing yeah. is, it, it, I, I think it's a time. We are a very small percent of people who have the who share the values we have, and I think that the way you do it is the way we did it in the '60s: tune in and drop out. You know, drop out not out of everything, but drop out of what's being sold to us. We're being manipulated mm, continually. Mm. The show "Longing Lasts Longer" is about the spectacle, mm-hmm. you know, Guy Debord and the Situationist talked about the society of the spectacle, and we are at the height of it so that they can hijack our attention and then rent it back to us. They're going to hijack our attention <laughs> uh-huh. about Kim Kardashian, mm-hmm. so she's going to law school. Ta-ra, <laughs> you know, ta-ra, you know, it means nothing. You know, so, uh, 10 years, 10 years from now, when I see her doing pro bono work to get people off of death row, then right. I will say, oh, wow, she really right. is doing something. Right, right. You know? So I want to ask you a anyway, question. We only have like, yeah. you know, eight minutes left. And I want to um, sure. just get get to get a point about like um, mm-hmm. what what I mean, your show is going to be incredibly interesting and entertaining, but it seems like you have, um, you, uh, it obviously has a message as well. So are you like sort of hoping to get that message to your audience or like, the, uh, the do you think is, it's going to have a, work, what effect? My work, my work always has the same message and longing less longer. I've just gotten better at sending that message. Mm-hmm. And that message is, you are in competition with no one. Your unique self is the most valuable thing you own. Own your life. 
be the person who owns the history. Uh, mm-hmm. Protect your authenticity. Uh, be aware of synchronicity. Look into your own heart. See what is there that is being asked to be developed. You know, mm-hmm. um, what I want is I want to support other people who are like me so that those people will support me in real time. Mm. And I think that that's what we're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been thinking about creating a salon mm. at um, at Pangea, which is a bar on 2nd Avenue between 11th and 12th uh, yeah. Street. That goes all the way back to the 80s mm. when it was Spaghetteria. Mm-hmm. And it's just a great place. And we've been doing a birthday party for me every year there. Mm-hmm. And there's no performances. And no music. <laughs> and it's just conversations. And people love to come there and meet people. Yeah. And talk to people and get disengaged. Use the internet for the tool that it is, mm-hmm. not the reality. It is not a reality. So when it's people leave your when people when you, when when the show is over, do you do you I mean, I'm imagining like it must feel like um like there, I this is what I imagine what it's like. So I'm asking: um, Is it like gratifying to get that message, which is really like vital? I mean, it's a very simple base. It's kind of it's kind of like a it's very simple, but it needs it's to be emphasized. Simple, but, you know the thing. The thing with me. But do you feel? Do you feel people- like you've you've connected with people and that people are going to walk out yes, and think, I mean, do you get I'm, that sense? It must be Lisa, gratifying. Lisa, when I was 10 years old and I got my tonsils out and I was in New Britain General Hospital, I found the book that was about helping your neighbor. And I came home and I painted help your neighbor on our garage in blue paint. Wow. Because I am somebody who is community oriented. Wow. You know, I, I, I want to support people so that I can have friends who are like me and not be hating every other person I see on the street because they're so hideous and they won't give five cents to a homeless person or else they're marching for black lives matter, but they step over the black guy laying in the gutter just the way the racist steps over them. You know, there's just mm-hmm. a lot of phoniness in the world. And we, it behooves us to create the world we want to live in and to support, you know, like with me, it's like, you know, one of the things that I say over and over and over in Longing Last Longer is, I know I'm not the only one. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not that. I am original, but so is everybody else. And mm-hmm. We have an opportunity, and it's a desperate opportunity mm-hmm. right now right. to be able to reach people because I can imagine a period, we're like in a 30-year dark period uh-huh. or uh-huh. longer where we yeah. won't be able to be in connection with each other. What do you imagine, like, where, where do you, just to be really... We've been warned. We were warned, okay? Mm-hmm. We were warned with Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. We were warned with George Orwell. Now, listen, when you talk 1984, right? Yeah. 
everybody talks about surveillance. Oh, surveillance, surveillance, surveillance. But George Orwell pointed out another evil, and that was the destruction of language. He said the destruction of language is a beautiful thing. The fact that young people, who are always the most idealistic in our society, that young people are ending conversation, are not allowing us to speak, that people in their 20s are going to tell someone like me, you know, almost 70, what I can say and what I can't Mm. say, what words I can use and Mm. what words I can't use, these very Mm -hmm. fascistic behaviors, which they are totally unwittingly playing into the hands of the right wing. So you've traveled... I just want to, we got two minutes. I just want to get a sense. So you've traveled a lot with this show. Like, does it, does it seem any different? Do people seem the same same. everywhere or which? People cheer in Ljubljana, in Lublin, Poland, in Edinburgh, in Dublin. So great. And also in New York, the great Lee Brewer said that my shows are the only shows he's ever gone to which are like a black revival church with the audience <laughs> wow. screaming. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, because people, I talk about what other people are thinking about. And I know that I'm, that I'm not the only one, you know? So like, true. I mean, that's what's so great when we're all together and I'm like ranting about, you know, the fact that people are staggering from one cupcake shop to another, that, People who these of, of women in their 30s dressed like they're in their 50s, ooing and eyeing so, over cupcakes. Penny, we have a minute and a half. I want to remind people that they're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. Dr. Lisa gives a shit. I just had an amazing conversation with Penny Arcade about her new show, Longing less, longing less, longer. And uh, why don't you uh, just give us all the details? And uh, it's, an, it's the next four Tuesdays at Joe's Pub. Please go on my Facebook page. I run it like a magazine. We have a lot of videos, video clips on it from the show, so you can see the highlights. Because it's hard to describe my work if you haven't seen it. And um, it's Tuesdays at Joe's Pub at. Astor Place in the Public Theater, 7 p.m., the 6th, 13th, 20th, 27th, and tickets are $20 in advance, $25 at the door. They are they have a lenient policy regarding their drinks, you know, their two-drink minimum, mm-hmm. and we really... Two um, sodas. Really feel <laughs> free to write me on Facebook um, or Twitter. Um, you can find me everywhere. I'm... I, I always keep everything totally open, and I love to be in, in contact with anyone who wants to be in contact with me. Thank you, Lisa. Penny, I can't thank you enough. I adore you. So thank you. Fun. Thank so you fun so much. Okay, everybody. Dr. Lisa gets shit.